This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 193, about Daredevil, season 3, episode 8, Upstairs, Downstairs. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 193 of Defenders TV Podcast. We are here, and we are going upstairs, downstairs, to deliver you Daredevil Season 3, Episode 8. Funny enough, called Upstairs, Downstairs. I am one of your hosts, John. And from downstairs, all right, my lord, it's Derek, your other (laughs) host for this episode. Yeah, I joked about it last time, Upstairs, Downstairs, the uh, seminal uh, British costume drama of the 70s and 80s, I think. Um, which I never watched, luckily. No, just, it, was, it was on in the house. I suspect it was the 80s version of Downton Abbey, which mm. meant it was right awful governor. <laughs> and of course, Chris is neither upstairs nor downstairs, but is out in the coal bunker as he is not able to join us uh, for this episode. Unfortunately, the autumnal sniffles have caught him. <laughs> yes, more like the cold bunker. Really is where yeah. he is. Yeah, um, I did have to make an apology for the episode being a little bit later this week. Our last episode, episode uh, seven, the review of the last episode of Daredevil, and um, because unfortunately there was a lot of sniffles and coughing that had to be removed from the episode. It is so much more difficult than you think it is to remove sniffles and coughing from the background of a, of a podcast. Apology uh, accepted, Special Agent Nadim. <laughs> At least I'm not Special Agent Poindexter this time. Thanks, John. No problemo. Get <laughs> me running through all the movie quotes all in one go. Very, but, very impressive. Before we get into our spoiler-filled review of this episode of Daredevil, please remember to subscribe, rate us, share us, leave a review of Defenders TV Podcast. Please head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe to your podcast catcher of choice over in our subscribe section. We are on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other good or evil podcast catcher of choice, and search Defenders TV Podcast. Mm-hmm. And done a little bit of extra podcasting this week. Um, if anybody is a Walking Dead fan still, or has seen anything to do with the news, The Walking Dead had a very big episode this week. Not going to spoil it for you if you haven't watched it yet, uh, but I had the pleasure of doing the comic book talk section on The Walking Dead podcast, my favourite Walking Dead podcast, The Walking Dead cast. Go check that out. Uh, a good 10 minutes uh, at the end of that episode talking about all the connections from the comic books in a seminal episode of The Walking Dead. Really enjoyed doing that uh, with my friend Lucy. Uh, ditching the guys for a for a quick run through different types of comic books yeah excellent stuff excellent stuff and fun, wasn't it? yeah it really was and speaking of comic books we will be back with strange tales mm. with dr strange issue number seven by mark wade and the infinity warps with soldier supreme part two by jerry duggan later this week so yes please check out strange tales our comic book corner on Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah, it will be on the main Defenders TV Podcast feed as well, but it will also be on its own feed on Strange Tales. Big month this month. We've got two issues of Doctor Strange coming out this month. Issue 8 will also be towards the end of November as well. So lots of comics to talk about. And also what I found out today, which I, I didn't know. know before now, issue 10 of this season, the Mark Wade's run, issue 10 of that is going to be the 400th Doctor Strange issue. So they're doing a big celebration for that coming out in January. Uh, so we will be continuing to cover the comic books right up until at least the 10th issue of this run of Doctor Strange. Yes, supreme awesomeness of the galaxy uh, with the 400th standalone issue of Doctor Strange. Of course, mm-hmm. he's been in kajillions of other crossover events and other titled comics. But this is his 400th issue of his own entitled comic book so <laughs> that is a brilliant way to describe a dr strange comic book entitled yes i like it John. it is well he, <laughs> he 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 is an arrogant uh former neurosurgeon who has crashed down to earth literally uh, only to find the power and wonders of magic so we hope you can join us as we explore the magic that is dr strange mm-hmm. on strange tales and of course he will be in the original Defenders. Again, Jerry Duggan will be providing um, this five-issue arc of the original Defenders, which we will also 
be delving into. So it is Defenders Galore. It is Doctor Strange Central. Uh, we just need a good old Nick Fury and a, and what's the other one? What's the one that Chris likes? Uh, oh, Spider Man! Yeah, there is quite a huge Spider Man uh, arc going on at the moment of the comic books as well. But unfortunately, Chris is very busy and has been pretty sick at the moment. So uh, we will finish off Daredevil. We'll keep on with our Doctor Strange, and once we have a bit of a break in our all of our schedules, we'll be able to schedule in some time for Chris to talk about some seminal spider-man works which i'm looking forward to definitely looking forward to that too of course i titter ye on that point of <laughs> course um so derek what are some of the episode details for upstairs downstairs well as you say the episode's called upstairs downstairs a reference to our reveal of where wilson fisk has his other office downstairs from his uh, from his apartment uh, quite cool we saw that last episode but we see exactly where it is this time so just a reference to that the episode was directed by alex zakaruzuski uh, he's directed loads of tv episodes right back from the wire through to bosch csi new york blue bloods and man in the high castle as well another member of the team behind man in the high castle coming over and joining the netflix marvel shows as well so loads of work in tv yeah excellent stuff mm -hmm. i think maybe netflix are trying to find out amazon primes uh ways of working maybe maybe i'm not sure whether they need to take anything from amazon no. prime other than some of their amazing probably shows. not uh, but i do think possibly you can see the stamp from some of the procedural elements that we see in this episode with uh, rain of and the fbi i think you see some of those coming through from alex's previous work as well and this episode is written by Dara Resnick. She has written two episodes of this season of Daredevil, but is more well known for her work on comedies like Pushing Daisies and Castle, where she's a writing and supervising producer as well on those shows. So uh, quite interesting. Uh, also, my brother's name uh, spelt exactly the same way as Dara. Yeah, it's a shame there were several takes there to get that right, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> peek behind the curtain there <laughs> exactly john do you want to tell us in as few takes as possible what your synopsis for this episode is <laughs> sure a desperate dex reaches out for help as he tries to reorientate himself to his north star julie following the bulletin incident he reconnects with Julie, who appears to want to help, and he engages with the soothing power of housework. <laughs> Meanwhile, believing that they're a step ahead of Wilson Fisk, Karen and Foggy conduct a plan to go after him through a public airing and an article in the bulletin that Fisk has broken the terms of his release from prison. But Karen has another side plan, as she directly provokes Fisk about the information she has learned from his mother and the death of James Wesley. Elsewhere, the loop has begun to close around Ben Poindexter as Special Agent Rayna Deem realises that his colleague is the attacker on the bulletin. With an uneasy alliance forming between Murdoch and Nadim, they search for proof at Dexter's apartment, but are interrupted by Dex as he returns home. While they find no proof that he was the attacker, his apartment was sparkling. <laughs> Nadim and Murdoch learn of his therapy session for his psychopathic tendencies and are subject to his very special skill set as they escape from his apartment. Following this break-in, Dex's life begins to spin out of control, with no family, no job, no friends, and a murdered Julie not answering his pleas for help, he turns to his new North Star, Wilson Fisk. Meanwhile, in a Catholic orphanage in Hell's Kitchen, another new revelation has pierced the walls of the convent, one that only Matt Murdock can hear. Oh, yes. What awesomeness in this episode. And I think we should slightly explain uh, our laughter at some of the moments of uh, of the apartment sparkling for, for Dex. <laughs> I did challenge John uh, when we saw this episode to post our spoiler post in the Facebook group with an image of Freddie Mercury dressed up in a dress uh, cleaning his house because that moment when Dex is dressed up in the Daredevil outfit trying to settle and calm his nerves cleaning up his apartment just reminded me of that. Possibly because Bohemian Rhapsody is out in the cinema at the moment, but possibly because it is a pretty iconic moment <laughs> having Daredevil clean your home. <laughs> that was fantastic. Pretty good. As soon as the camera panned back and there was Poindexter still in the Daredevil outfit doing the hoovering. Uh, fabulous. Great. Such great a great choice to make there. So hats off, rubber gloves on and dusters out for that, <laughs> for sure. And masks off, actually. Yeah, he didn't have the mask on. He just had the outfit. So yeah, good, good job. Uh, let's get out to our case notes, John. Yes, on to case note number one. Ray and Matt team up. Yes, we get this 
uneasy alliance beginning to form between Ray Nadim and Matt Murdock, or mm-hmm. the man in black, Daredevil. Yes. Um, this is this is kind of really interesting. This really is kind of this prodding and poking just to see what the other person is about. Both very suspicious of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some ways, you know, I, I would say that from my side, you know, Ray Nadim is kind of going along this route simply because he's also been prodded by Karen Page previously and with Foggy Nelson. Yeah. So there's kind of a really good three-way tag team here between Karen, Foggy, and Matt now on Ray Nadim. And they don't know this, that that they have kind of got under Ray Nadim's skin that he may actually be doing everything that he has um, sworn not to do as a special agent of the FBI, which is, you know, serve and protect the federal um, institutions of the US, that he is unknowingly undermining all of that by this whole plea bargain um, and transfer of Wilson Fisk from prison. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really nice moment here. And I like how over the course of this episode, through uh, Ray Nadim's um, curiosity, you know, he goes back into the office uh, where the FBI team are in the hotel. He checks the files of his team. He looks at the roster on the wall. And then, lo and behold, the the footage of the secret camera that none of his team realizes there. So it's, it's a nice moment that, you know, the spies, um, the Homeland spies, are spying on one another here. Uh, yeah, but it does speak a bit of truth there. Like, they're not going to leave a room where you can press one button on a machine and turn off all the cameras in everywhere in the hotel. You know, they will. They are smarter than that. They are the FBI. They have held quite a few people in situations like Fisk is in. I do like that it's one additional camera uh, in this room that's monitoring the people that are in there. It just makes sense. Like, they have that in hairdressers, you know? <laughs> of course you're going to have that when you have a high-security <laughs> yeah, exactly. prisoner. What if somebody came in and shot the two guys behind the, behind the counter, you know? Or behind the desk, the two FBI officers. You'd want to have another video camera covering that that's secure. So, really good moment that, uh, that Ray finds this. Uh, but you're right, it does seem kind of uneasy between Matt and Ray. What are you thinking now on, on Ray working for Kingpin? I'm, as I said last episode, definitely don't feel he's working for Kingpin. I feel like he's being manipulated by him and he's getting that full realisation of that in this episode, really. To be honest, I don't really think that he is in with Wilson Fisk. But I suppose my podcaster tendencies here is to think of different angles, different sides. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he is. But I don't think it's off the table for me just yet. And it's primarily because of the final phone call that he makes in the car after him and Matt have broken into Dex's apartment. Mm -hmm. He's bleeding from a gunshot wound that he's gotten uh, from Poindexter. And he phones up his boss and says, we've got to talk. It's not something I would have thought he would say to his boss in the FBI, the lady. And I can't quite remember her name at the moment, but, you know, Tammy, special agent Tammy, I think. So I'm kind of just there going, you know, is that again, you've made him appear all above board for pretty much the entire episode. Uh And now you chuck this in. But personally, I don't think he is at all. And I think he's not working for Wilson Fisk. Good so let, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that we have the watch on every episode just to see <laughs> yeah, where absolutely. you're fluctuating or, or sitting this week. But right now, you don't think he's working for him. Good stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely. I'm like a needle on a Richter scale in an earthquake zone right. at this moment in time <laughs> on this, to be honest. You know, what I really liked here as well with Ray is that, you know, little does he know, but he is kind of, you know, in some of his actions here where he brings the lawyer in and arranges for this lawyer to effectively distract Poindexter from being in his apartment so that him and Matt can get access to it. You know, he sets it up so that she's going to work on getting him back on the force. It'll take, you know, about six months. Mm. They'll get the back pay, all this kind of stuff. I like the fact that little does Ray know, but he is having a huge impact here in this slow degradation that we see of Poindexter here in this episode. And there are a number of different ones as well. But ultimately, Nadim betrays 
Poindexter. You know, it's part of that breakdown of the structures, the um, connections, the network that Poindexter has built up. And here we have him break that down in the eyes of Poindexter. And so I think that's a really nice element to this growing relationship between Ray and Matt is that it is almost feeding off and destroying the one that he previously had with Poindexter mm. for obvious reasons in that, you know, through that video footage, he definitely um, would say that Poindexter is the attacker. Although, again, you know, there is no hard evidence at Dexter's apartment. All you can smell is the latex, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just to quickly bring it back to the lawyer, um, it, that is quite of an interesting one. I'm wondering, is that, did he say to Matt, there's this thing that's going to happen today, I'm bringing in this lawyer at this time today, you be ready and I'll let you into the apartment because she's going to take some time? Because this whole thing about the lawyer is that it's being paid for, for by all the re rest of the members of his team. There was a collection whipped up. That's what she says. I'm really expensive lawyer. So these guys must really believe in you. Or is she completely acting in this role? Has he already shared the idea with somebody else, with this lawyer, that he does suspect that Poindexter might be the one dressing up as Daredevil? Because it feels like this was something that was going to happen anyway. He was going to bring in this lawyer. They do play it very well on the show itself because you have Ray going, I need to see you in the office. And then he goes, I have someone here that needs to see you. And you feel like it's going to be, he's going to turn him over to his boss, basically, uh, yeah. by bringing him into the office. But it turns out, actually, he's there to help his legal case, which is quite cool. But I do wonder, is, was that always the setup? I don't know, but it is quite interesting that he is going to that length to make sure that Benjamin Poindexter is away from his apartment so yeah. that him and Matt uh, can go in to effectively case the joint to see if there is any evidence, the suit, anything that links him to the bulletin incident, to that Daredevil suit, or to anything else that may incriminate him yeah. here. And yeah. of course, they don't find anything. Nothing particular. Yeah, they find the stash of guns, which are obviously, they're not illegal. It's, it's in a, a safe, which is which is there. That's fine. They find the tapes, which uh, Ray goes, that's inadmissible ev evidence. It might be interesting, but it's inadmissible. Um, and then Matt consents that the suit's there, but you can't do anything with that saying, well, I walked into the place and I can smell that my suit used to be here. It doesn't say that, uh, that that's the right thing. But Matt knows now. Matt has it confirmed for him. Very cool moment there where we see a possible other career path for, for Matt Murdoch, where he could be going as a safe cracker. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love that moment where you hear Ray going to him, oh, you can crack safes now. And he goes, well, I can if you stop talking to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, cool, really cool. I kind of still feel as though Matt would be able to crack the safe with an entire disco going mm -hmm. on, just purely because Fucks. of his special powers, I suppose, his gifts. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice here that, you know, they both get caught with their trousers around their ankles really a bit here uh, and have to escape the apartment as Dex comes back. And I love how Dex takes some of those really kind of hammy crystal um, glass shards from around the light. Like the then, chandelier. Yeah, yeah, to then use as uh, the weapon uh, as he's chasing Matt Murdock up the the, the fire uh, escape on the outside of the... I think it's the opposite building. Well, let's, let's get on to Dex. Yeah, let's get on to that as our case note number two is Dex needs a North Star, which does sound a little bit like a manga movie, but um, this is the whole storyline that's going on with Dex in this episode. As you mentioned, Johnny, he's starting to get things stripped away from him uh, over the course of this episode. Um, we see that he goes back to the apartment, kind of lost his mind a little bit, and needs the tapes once again. Uh, he needs probably the most important tape to him, which is the the one from when he's a kid. That's the one that that Matt finds in his uh, in his Walkman, uh, showing that it's a really important tape to him, and that's the one that Matt takes with him, which is quite interesting. And um, we do see him try and get Julie to try and convince her um, to work on his side and give him some guidance. This is really interesting because. Definitely. After, what, four episodes now of knowing about Julie, of knowing about this woman that he watches from afar really creepily and eats dinner watching and this kind of stuff, we were kind of wondering what way it was going. Was it going to be that level of John Wayne Gale murderous intent or was there this spurned love aspect to it in some sense? Or is he just a creepy stalker? But he points out to her, I'm not stalking you. I just need you in my life to give me guidance because I've been lost without that guidance since my 
social worker died or since my psychiatrist died, which is very sad. Like it's really sadly put, she does have a very bad reaction to it to begin with, but then finds out that he does need someone like her. He is saying to her, I'm not attracted to you in any way. And I don't mean that to sound bad, but (laughs) I need your help. You know? Yeah. I think for me, this is absolutely uh, one of the most fascinating parts of this um, episode. Mm -hmm. I think just the treatment that, you know, this is uh, an additional episode on from the Bulletin incident. We hadn't seen him in episode seven at all. And I love the fact that ultimately the first thing that happens when he returns home is that there is still hope for Poindexter here. He gets out his tapes and immediately all that noise of what happened at the Bulletin stops. And this to me is the thing that absolutely fascinates me about this character uh, is that there's still hope here for Dexter. He thinks, as I say, that Nadim is doing something really nice, that the, the lads in the FBI office are doing something really nice. They've got this lawyer to get him back on the force. Again, tick, another positive, another thing of his structure, his networks. And then he realizes through the tapes that his North Star needs to be recentered, reorientated. He needs to gain it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes to Julie and effectively just tells her the truth. Says, look, this is why. And she goes, you do need help. And he says, I was getting help, but she died. And I think that's the moment when Julie, it really confirms to her that she is happy to do this. I mean, unfortunately for her, it is a bit famous last words with, please don't make me regret this. Um, Sadly, um, you know, a little while later, it's bang, bang, you're dead, 50 bullets in your head uh, kind of thing, really. (laughs) Although it is only just one uh, well-aimed, although it is just one uh, well-aimed, silenced uh, shot to the head. It is shockingly done. Yeah, so two painters painting the hallway in red is just really, really bad. <laughs> it's a cheap way of doing it, I know, but I'm not sure if they were painters. That <laughs> no, I don't think they were either. But this is this is the thing, is that there's all this hope for Poindexter that, okay, he's done the bulletin thing. Um, you don't know to what extent Wilson Fisk has got that leverage over him. Although, you know, we'll come to that a bit later on in the episode because yeah. we do see that... Um, there is leverage there. Uh, Wilson Fisk isn't sure about their kind of relationship mm-hmm. uh, of Poindexter and himself. And you just get this absolute destruction of this one man with literally the rug being pulled from under his feet at every turn. Every bit of hope gets crushed yeah. underfoot. Julie, the tapes... You know, his his um, connection back to his doctor, the one that, you know, saw who he was, knew who he was, and really tried to get him out of it, and to Nadine, uh, as well as the fact that, you know, he's not had family in ages. So it's all just um, this loss of everything that gives you hope at the start of this episode that maybe Poindexter can be reconciled. And I just find that great, and I thought it was just done so so well it was and he even confirmed earlier on in the episode that the things that have kept him going since the loss of his psychologist was the fbi and the army having that structure in his life has left him being able to manage his deeper darker desires i suppose or deeper darker moments what led him to follow fisk's lead last time was because the fbi had had put him on suspension so that was out of his life he was spiraling out of control and then in this episode as you say he loses julie he loses the fbi now because the lawyer even though he's only on suspension the lawyer is saying well that suspension is going to last at least six months now i think he kind of felt that suspension while bad was maybe a few weeks off work, you know, yeah. maybe, a, maybe a short holiday when they realize what they've done wrong here, I'll be back in the door again. And even with the best lawyer in town working for him, the earliest he's going to go back to that central part of his life is at least six months, you know, that is another little stab in the back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, from everybody else around him. It's every little thing because then yeah. you get the rejection on the cell phone, uh, yeah. even though that's probably Felix Manning, you, you get yeah. all of that. I presume he realizes it's Nadim from when he's trying to shoot at them after they've escaped the apartment, you know? Mm. And again, all of a sudden, 
those words that Nadim gave him as comfort with the lawyer just turn to ash. It's all these little moments. Interesting. I wasn't sure about that. Can we talk about that scene, actually, the, the escape from the apartment? Because this is our most bullseye scene that we've seen so far. How cool was this? This yeah. really felt supernatural, uh, super-powered villain here where as you mentioned matt and ray climb up the outside of the building and go into the apartment above but ray is using the wall on the opposite side of the building to ricochet bullets off it to hit the man in black to hit daredevil in the apartment above it's so cool you hear the pings on the uh, fire escape on the opposite side and things smashing in the apartment that they're in so i'm not sure whether dex sees ray in the apartment but he definitely sees that that's where the man in black went and daredevil tracks the bullets coming at him by standing in front of the mirror when Dex shoots at that and empties his final clip. That's when Ray gets out into the apartment block and Dex follows Daredevil up the outside of the same building, throwing the pieces of glass from the chandelier at him. Yeah, that there, makes so. more sense now to me because yeah. I, even though I knew that Poindexter was ricocheting the bullets, I thought he was just ricocheting them off things in the room right. or off the fire escape on the outside of the building into the room because he could angle them down so that even though Nadim and uh, Matt Murdock were hiding behind sofas and all this, he could angle the bullets down and still hit them. Right. Uh, I didn't realize that actually he was, he was doing a complete kind of uh, snooker ball trick where exactly. it was going off one building on the opposite side and then back across and up to his side and further up the building were Matt and Nadine were. Yeah, it's so, kind of like the baseball trick. It's, it's the, the way he killed his coach is by throwing the ball in the opposite direction, hitting it off a pole and ricocheting yeah, it back yeah. at his coach. So it's a trick that he's known all his life and has obviously massaged it and made it even better. As yeah, he honed the it army. down to a T. Yeah. yeah, but then my question is, how does he know that Nadim knows? That's a good question. Um, we may not find out exactly why in this episode. Um, my feeling is that Fisk knows a lot more than he's saying he knows. He has a lot of connections here. Like that whole piece in the last episode where Dex arrived in the Daredevil costume before Ray's team arrived to the bulletin um, to protect their, their witness, their star witness, effectively. I'm presuming that all came because Fisk knew exactly what time they were arriving and arranged for a point that... Uh, the witness would be left alone long enough to be killed by Daredevil. So that's all got to be Fisk. Fisk has to know more than he's letting on. So if Ray doesn't work for him, somebody else works for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Somebody works for him <laughs> in the FBI other than uh, Poindexter yeah. at this stage. Yeah. Definitely. Just one other thing after the attack on the apartment, the, uh, Ray gets away. As you mentioned earlier on, Ray's shot and sitting in his car. He doesn't just call his boss. He also calls his wife to lie, lie to her for the fourth or fifth time now that he's been shot. Uh, this time he's actually damaged. This time he should actually be in hospital. And he's telling her he's working late. How do you... Well, you don't cover that up. You can't. You, you, can you? can't. Absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, unless he's suddenly going to be off prosecuting the Albanians for another week or two yeah. uh, for it to really uh, calm down and for him to get stitches. I don't really know what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean, he lies to his wife again. So that is bound to come up at some point, given they really emphasized that point in the last episode. Yeah. And one of the things that came up here that was mentioned uh, in the last episode that you mentioned in the last episode, John, good catch. Um, Fisk had sent off Felix Manning to watch after every movement that Dex made. It sounded like Fisk cared what happened to Dex, but actually he was trying to keep him in his sights. So that's the reason why Felix is able to monitor what's happening on the uh, in the coffee shop when he's talking to Julie. That's how they know who Julie is and how they find Julie and kill her after she tries to give support to Dex. That's why Fisk knows to take her out. Is it because of what you said, John? Not that you gave the writers that idea because this show came out a couple Absolutely. of weeks ago. But, but you did notice that moment when Felix was sent off to follow Dex, which is quite cool. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the really um, interesting thing here. You know, both Julie and Dex could have gone the same way, which is rolled up in plastic sheeting mm -hmm. uh, by two pretend painters. Very good I job. really do like that moment where... And as I said before, Fisk still is not 100% sure about his new recruit here in Poindexter. Yeah. And I think that is nicely sort of alluded to by the fact that there is this hope for Poindexter at the start, which Fisk has to slowly but surely, certainly in the case of Julie, 
um, get rid of Quickly. so that he brings <laughs> Dexter towards him uh, rather than uh, back to the tapes of, of his former uh, psych evaluator. Yeah. And I think that's really good. And we have this moment where they have this whole conversation about that primeval roar um, to, to release the anger. It's not about holding it in. It's not about uh, listening and meditating on it. It's about acting on it and releasing it. And as soon as he does that, he gives Felix Manning the, the, the thumbs up to leave. And you see then the, the painter and decorators in the hallway rolling up the plastic sheeting, the, the cloth, taking down the ladders because they aren't going to shoot him in the head yeah. as he leaves. That yeah. was really well noticed, John. I didn't notice that when we watched it the first time, but you pointed out just afterwards. And I have to say, I was there kind of going, I know you love continuity in, in TV shows, particularly these ones when they're going on for 13 episodes and you love continuity. And that's all I thought this was. I thought they were just going, that's the hallway where Julie's been killed and her body's in one of the other rooms across the way and Dex has just walked past. That's all I thought was happening. But actually, they were setting up to shoot Dex if he didn't go with what Fisk's suggestion was. Really good catch there. So again, in this episode, Dexter goes from trying to re- gain his North Star in the form of Julie and ends up losing his North Star and getting his Death Star in <laughs> Wilson Fisk here. His new North Star, yes. if you will. Uh, really, I like really Death good. Star. Cool. Um, <laughs> I, I just thought it was so, so good. And I think what made it really shocking with the death of Julie, even though we've not seen her that much, is I really like that scene in the coffee shop between the two of them where... Poindexter is so awkward and creepy, as Julie says, in telling her what it was that he was doing. Yeah. And she says, look, I'm going to go with you here. You need help and you're asking for it. So that's what she's trained to do is to respond to that and to get him help. And at the moment, she can provide that. She does say you need a psych evaluator. You need a psychologist. You need to run through this stuff with someone much better trained than she is. But I like that whole conversation between them, even just the goat, the bleating goat impression that Poindexter does when he says, well, the FBI needed a scapegoat. Uh, I, I just thought it was really nice. It felt kind of quite natural, even though it was dealing with a relatively creepy uh, and disturbing kind of situation between these two characters. It, it kind of felt real that it could happen. Mm. Um, Although and- that goat impression was startlingly wrong it just didn't sound right coming out of his mouth <laughs> i'm not <laughs> sure whether wilson bethel's ever actually heard a goat make that noise before <laughs> but because it just didn't sound like a goat but very interesting scene either. it was poindexter's primeval roar before he meets wilson fisk yes yes possibly <laughs> uh, i do like that fisk has revealed his inner sanctum to dex as well not many people obviously get to see that room but it is an actual room directly below where wilson fisk is that's the reason why they're able to tell that uh, Wilson is still in his, his apartment or in his penthouse apartment because he's actually in the apartment directly below and they're not really monitoring that. So uh, I wonder, does he ever take a walk out that front door or who who's able to come in and out of that apartment? Uh, it's interesting, but a nice setup and probably quite easy to cut that hole in the in the floor and turn it into the, uh, the downstairs apartment to the upstairs one, you know? Definitely. I mean, from here on in, I definitely think that Dex is... Um, in the pockets of Wilson Fisk. I think mm-hmm. um, we're going to see him almost as his third-in-command or, or bodyguard-type person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. But moving on to case note number three, mm. Foggy Bear has a theory. Yes, he does. And it involves Wilson Fisk. It involves criminal gangs of New York. It involves Wilson Fisk using the apparatus of state for his own personal needs. Yes, Wilson Fisk is a terror on the neighborhood. Uh, I really enjoyed um, Foggy and Karen coming together here to team up. Uh, Foggy has this theory that Wilson Fisk is going to be the sole source of uh, criminal protection uh, to the, the gangs of the underworld in New York. And he's using the FBI as his... Uh, apparatus to effectively take down his opposition, yes. his competition. Yeah, it's like uh, his personal police force, effectively, yeah. And Foggy is like, 
what we need to do is get this out into the opening. He's taking that leaf out of Marcy's book where she says, you need to make yourself public. What they're trying to do here is make Wilson Fisk public and it's throwing unsubstantiated claims, however good the theory is, uh, at a function held to promote Blake Tower at the Hell's Kitchen Club and for it to get reported on by Karen. Although, unfortunately, we do hear in this episode that Karen has quit the bulletin. She no longer has a job there. They're still going ahead with it for some reason, despite that. Foggy is still kind of expecting Karen to be there. Maybe that's just as a ruse, as a bit of an act to really throw um, the fear at Blake Tower. Foggy's pretty clear about it. He does say, I don't really care what Alison says to you about not giving up Daredevil. If you get this story for him and take down Wilson Fisk in his newspaper, you're getting your job back straight away. Just give him the details. You know, he's just kind of pushes through Karen saying that she's been fired and goes, oh, I'll take his one phone call. He knows what side his bread is buttered on. Uh, even if he doesn't get the details from you of who Daredevil is, you'll get your job back for this, you know. But he is left hanging at the altar, really. He's left at the kitchen club having to just go ahead and do this um, attack on Blake Tower and, and what he's going to do with this really interesting idea that he's come up with um i love this reveal i must say because you're kind of wondering the whole season so far we're up to episode eight now and he didn't know what fisk's actual plan is but how cool is it that the man with knowledge on everybody in the underworld is using that to push them all out of the way while he takes over their positions and puts them all back underneath them that's really cool wilson fisk is going to be back on top by the end of this season or by the end of doing all of this work, getting rid of all the heads of the uh, of the other organizations, if he can. Yeah, as Blake Tower says, it's a good narrative. It's what high-flying lawyers are uh-huh. paid to do. Create the narrative that people will buy into so that the evidence is overlooked. And for Blake Tower here, it is that the evidence doesn't support this narrative that Foggy uh, it is just spewing forth at this dinner club mm-hmm. and it, it it's kind of interesting in that there is the moment where foggy's thought process is interrupted as he realizes that karen has not turned up to uh this dinner she is not playing her part yeah. in his plan to to really start to expose wilson fisk but instead has a own side plan uh, of of her own which is to confront and provoke wilson fisk absolutely and did you see that great moment which kind of fulfilled the prophecy of the head of uh, of the hell's kitchen club where he said it's getting to the exciting part everybody and everybody groaned and actually it did get to the exciting part because black Tara didn't just stand up and tell a few jokes at this friendly club in town he got challenged by foggy uh, who felt like he had a right to be able to challenge him there and you see everybody taking out their phones and starting to film and film what's going on it's like ooh, look at this in the upper class club in hell's kitchen youtube sensation oh, foggy, maybe. foggy bear maybe yeah <laughs> at least all these people have had a moment of excitement before their dessert anyway uh, you've mentioned karen yes John. let's get on to case note number four karen confronts wilson fisk because this is probably my favorite moment of the season so far seeing deborah ann wall and Vincent D'Onofrio, top of their game, the pitter-patter between the two of them in such a dark way is so good. Every word has meaning that they're saying, and each one of them is trying to up on the other one with more and more vicious things coming out of their mouth as they go through it. It's really, really interesting. It is so awesome. I think, you know, Poindexter for me, fantastic in this episode. Yeah. Karen and Wilson Fisk here, uh, absolutely sensational as well um i just thought this was amazing it was brave of karen and utterly stupid and reckless but just to point out she was spurred on to doing it by going down to the bulletin where she saw loads of protesters outside uh, the bulletin itself protesting the attack that had happened so she she was getting all of those feelings of all of the people that had lost their lives or had been injured in the attack by daredevil and she knows it's wilson fisk so she is 
completely pushed by that emotion that's running through her. So it's not like she just ran there from her apartment. I just think it was a really good inclusion on the episode to have that there as well. No, absolutely. And of course, she's also been spurred on by Foggy as well, in that Mm -hmm. she's doing exactly what Foggy is trying to do with Blake Tower, which is to provoke a reaction, to Mm -hmm. get the whole thing around Wilson Fisk highlighted through a non-judicial manner. So she's doing exactly the same thing, It's just she is going into the lion's den here. She is going head-to-head with the Fiskmeister. And uh, (laughs) this is just so good. I think Fisk's response is amazing to the the idea that she is running an article on his mother, Marlene Vestain, and then when she brings up Wesley. And again, we see this darker side to Karen that I just love... Uh, when this is brought out. Yeah, I love her pushing about about him killing his father with the hammer, that she knows all that information. I love her pushing about the idea that he has these really embarrassing little things as a child and everybody in the bulletin laughs about them, about those things behind his back. It's that really interesting moment. And then you have Fisk's response of the, how is it around your office, Karen? Uh, Really evil, just, oh. All these points are so pointed between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And it is really good. As I say, I think the moment where Karen is talking about James Wesley and about Uh what was your response when you called and you called, you got no answer. You know, was it his duplicity or his possible death that upset you most? Well, he's dead. I shot him seven times because the clip ran out. That is dark Karen Page. And you need to probably be locked up um, in prison as well with those kind of thoughts. I mean, it actually now makes sense with the, the three guys on the pavement and her with the gun. There's this darkness to Karen mm-hmm. um, from her past and still with her in the present. And this arena of the penthouse where Fisk is with the big bad bear is where her darkness can really come forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I see it anyway. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, and, I think- and don't forget that she's pushed into this by Fisk revealing to her that he knows Matt's other life. Um, yeah, and, and he, he re- gets the confirmation in the look from Karen. and. This is her response yeah. and is to talk about her killing James Wesley yeah. and the idea that he shouldn't be worried about Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. He should be worried about um her, Karen Page. I think it is as well. Every bit of this conversation was an absolute jab at the other because Wilson Fisk brings up Ben Urich mm-hmm. um, saying he was your mentor. And she, she goes, yes, he was murdered uh, pursuing a story. And he, he immediately comes back with, and you didn't get the message. Oh, you know, and she goes, is that a threat? No, just an observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a really, really um, great scene. It's so prickly. It's so aggressive, it's so dark, it's so on the nose, but so on point. I absolutely thought both of these actors and everything about this scene was fantastic. And can I just say, I was going to save this for my defense at the end of the episode, but can I just say, this is the Karen that I wanted to see carried through after the end of season one of Daredevil. We went through season two. I liked Karen. I liked the character. I liked some of the things they did with her, but she felt like a background character in season two and in The Defenders, when by the end of season one, she'd become quite a central player in the storyline of Matt Murdock and Daredevil. And I think they made her take a back seat and go into a little bit of that damsel in distress sometimes or just intelligent reporter other times. What I wanted to see after season one was the darkness. And I'm so glad they've decided to kind of skip some of the other side stories that we had for Karen and just focus on this one right here so that we can see what she's actually like underneath it all. She is a woman who is not willing to be pushed now. What a great, great scene. Really yeah, enjoyed it. very good. And I love the fact that we get Wilson Fisk give his own primeval roar here in this moment as well mm-hmm. as he rears up at Karen after she has talked about Wesley and is then saved by the Foggy Bell as uh-huh. Foggy Bear arrives uh, to effectively pull her away and get her out of danger. And what's 
the story that he's given to the FBI that she's going to kill him. So and they believed is, it. Yeah, exactly. Of course they did because of that. What's going on in the room? They're sitting there watching the whole time. You know, um, it's a dangerous thing that she's done. I don't want to take that away. I totally get how dangerous it is. I totally am on the side of Foggy, the character who's saying to her, "You shouldn't have done this. What was your plan here? That they may get into the room before he snaps your neck." You know, terrible plan. But I love the scene. I'm so glad they have it in here. And it feels real. It feels like she has a woman that has just been pushed way too far by everything that's going on. And it's cost her co-workers. It's cost their impression of her. It's cost her her job. Everything else that matters to her in her life. He's now telling her that Matt is also someone that he's going to target because he knows how important Matt is to her. And she's not willing to take it anymore and just goes straight for it. Full on network style. It's awesome. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore is what I was expecting from Karen's next lines there. You know, very cool. Very cool. One of the best scenes we've seen this season. Absolutely. But from one revelation to another, mm-hmm. case note five, Sister Maggie's has revelations. This isn't entirely unusual in the Catholic Church for there to be revelations, but we do have another. I feel like that's even a name of an episode coming up. I think it might even be episode nine, actually. Catholic revelations. (laughs) Just revelations. Just revelations. Uh, Yes, we have Matt downstairs listening back to Dex's tapes. Uh, Quite interesting because he's listening, hearing one thing, the other story of this bad guy, and he feels the eyes on the back of his neck from Maggie going, well, that's just you as well, isn't it? (laughs) You can tell he has that sense, that extra sense that Matt always does where he knows Maggie's going, you lost your family as well. You're a very violent person. (laughs) You've also killed people in the past. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, can you not see the similarities between the two of them? And then Maggie goes off to say a prayer. And there's this lovely moment where you see the way that Matt uses other people's prayers in church to calm himself and to focus himself. It's a very weird thing. Don't get me wrong. Listening in other people's prayers is something you shouldn't be doing. But Matt has mentioned before he used to do it in the past. He listened in on what people were saying in their prayers, sometimes to help them and sometimes just for a little uh, calmness in his life. But he's listening into her. He hears her starting off her prayer. He gets a little smile on his face and continues doing his punching. And then we hear that she's not actually praying to God. She's praying to another father. Yes, Sister Maggie's not praying to Jesus. She's praying to Jack, not Jack Daniels. This isn't Whiskey Watch, (laughs) but to Matt's father, Jack, the boxer of Hell's Kitchen, Jack Murdoch. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, really, uh, really good here. I I just think Charlie Cox's expressions, I love that moment where he's hitting the punch bag. Again, a reference back to his dad and what he used to do, Mm -hmm. a reference to daredevil's fighting style and he overhears maggie talking to jack and telling him that their son is too much like him exactly Uh, and the moment where charlie cox kind of hears that and stops punching the punch bag uh, it's just really, really good. It's mm-hmm. just that double take that he does, but with his ears. Yeah, it's that moment exactly. where he's focused on the punch bag. And whereas a double take for someone who has sight would be to kind of look at the punch bag or to just move their head back, he cocks his head up, points his ear in the direction and stops punching. And I just thought it was a great, great moment. Um, and yes... A big revelation coming through the walls of the orphanage that Matt Murdock is Sister Maggie's son. Uh, And Sister Maggie, that was her sabbatical from the church. Well, perhaps, yes, yes, we will get to hear probably more about Sister Maggie in the next episode and more of the details. I'm just so glad it's finally out there that Sister Maggie is his mother. We've known this (laughs) for a long time as comic book readers. Back in Defenders, when we heard just the name Sister Maggie being called out when Matt was being brought to this orphanage, we knew it was going to be Sister Maggie's mother, and I'm so glad they've actually not held back on the revelation. In fact, in the comic book where it first appeared, it wasn't fully revealed. It was that he asked her the question, are you my mother? She said no and walked away. And then in the captions around that particular uh, panel in the comics, it just says, but Matt could tell from her heart that she was lying. So that's how it was revealed in the comics, in the comics the first time. It's talked about later the reasons why she did what she did. And I'm wondering how they're, how they're going to reveal it on the show. Uh, and looking forward to that next episode as well. But really interesting. You can see now why Maggie puts up with the things she puts up with from Matt. And why she was so hurt that he no longer asked her for help after that one night that she couldn't help him. 
Yeah, definitely. So really interesting ending, actually. I was not expecting that we would get this revelation in this episode, Mm -hmm. but a fantastic uh, little bit of excitement there and revelation. Mm -hmm. Literally revelation in a church. There you go. Many times that happens, John. Many times that happens. <laughs> if not in the book of Revelations. <laughs> um, I think we should go on to notes, John, because there's a couple of Revelations in there as well. Uh, my first note about the episode is just the the map that Foggy has drawn out of all of the uh, families that Fisk has been trying to take down. Just quite interesting. Pause it for a second just to see which families he's talking about. Uh, we have the Albanians, the Russians, and the Magia, all featured on Daredevil before and the Punisher in the past. Uh, we have the Golden Tigers and the Hatchet Gang, which were majorly involved in Season 2 of Iron Fist. Yeah. Uh, most of them kind of wiped out by the end of Season 2 of Iron Fist, actually. Uh, and then we have the Juarez crime, crime family. They're most likely the crime family that uh, Frank Castle was taking down in his season of the show. Uh, he followed them down to New Mexico on the first episode of um, season one of The Punisher to a town called Juarez in New Mexico where they were having a celebration for the one guy that got away only to be taken out by a bullet from uh, miles across yeah, the border from, from Frank. Uh, so quite interesting that all of the gangs that were featured there were all people that we've seen in previous series of, uh, of the Defenders show. So nice connection there from the art department. Yes, taking out all the other gangs in all the other shows. Interesting, yes, there was also a lot of signs at the bulletin when Karen goes back to the offices there, or mm. at least attempts to go back to the offices. Um, there was a very funny one that uh, I think the Daredevil go to hell, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and then there is one that seems to have been left over from a different type of protest, but it reads, end the attacks on the free press. Yes, yes. So it's kind of interesting and very topical, maybe, <laughs> as well, at this moment in time. Yes, timely with the with elections on in the US at the moment as well. Uh, one more one that was in those signs there, and I'm wondering about this one. This is a little bit of a Derek, uh, very in-depth connection, possibly. Uh, there's one that said, truth, not consequence, as its sign outside of the bulletin. I'm wondering if that's a reference to the Foo Fighters song, because there's a line in one of their songs that says, truth, not consequence, sing it aloud. Um, the song is called My Hero, Daredevil obviously being a superhero or hero in this show as well. Might be a long shot, but I'm wondering if that was what the connection was. Uh, if there's any more in there that we missed, fellow Defenders, pop us on an email to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com with any other uh, ones that we might have missed in there. But I thought that was pretty cool to have all of those signs laid out. Loving the signs in this season. Lots of uh, protesters. I wonder if they're the same ones that have just moved away from uh, the bottom of Wilson Fisk's apartment uh, and swapped over their signs and wrote something different on the back, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Derek, with that, though, do you defend Daredevil Season 3, Episode 8, Upstairs, Downstairs? I do defend this episode of Daredevil, one of the best episodes this season, definitely. There's some of the revelations that are in there, but the acting that is going on in this episode, some of the best moments that we've seen with Karen so far on the show, just her and Vincent D'Onofrio together in a room, just hashing out their differences and sharing all of their knowledge of each other trying to one-up each other. And I love, as I said, Wilson Fisk trying to play his trump card, saying that he he knows who Matt Murdock is and he knows that Karen knows and trying to get that information from Karen and the reaction on her face. And Karen goes, well, actually, you don't know everything. You don't know who killed your right-hand man. And the reaction from Vincent D'Onofrio is just superb. It's a great, great moment. His, the face just falling as he realizes Maybe the person he's been going after is the wrong person. It should have been Karen. Fantastic writing, fantastic acting this episode, and some great moments. So excited to see Maggie being revealed as the mother of uh, Matt Murdock on screen. How is Matt going to be able to take that? He spent his life from being eight years old, going in and out of in and out of institutions, going and working with Stick, being in this orphanage, not knowing that any, any family at all. And this woman was right down the corridor from all of his life. So intrigued to find out how they, how they handle that in the show. Uh, but really love this episode. So good. And John, do you defend Daredevil Season 3, Episode 8, Upstairs, Downstairs? I really do defend this episode of Daredevil. I do think this is one of the best of the season, mm. uh, for sure. I give this five Poindexter feather dusters out of five. <laughs> uh, I really do. I, I This is an episode where people turn. 
Um, and you see the turning of Poindexter here. And I love the fact that it is absolutely undercut by and contrasted with the hope that you maybe have for him, I think. Even though we know possibly the arc of this character anyway uh, through the comics in terms of his, his comic equivalent, there's hope there at the start and it just gets stripped away. Yeah. It's a turn. We see Karen devastated by what happened at the bulletin from the previous episodes, you know, connecting in with her friend Foggy. And again, she turns, she has this self-destructive streak where she goes to confront and more importantly, provoke Wilson Fisk. Um, we have the turn of Nadim where he takes the chance on Matt Murdock on the man in black. And we then have the turn in Matt Murdock and his relationship with Sister Maggie, his mom forever. This was really, really good um, episode for all these characters. But for me, I absolutely loved the interaction between Vincent D'Onofrio and Deborah Anwal as Wilson Fisk and Karen Page in his penthouse. Just superb acting mm-hmm. superb writing a great scene uh, within this episode and i loved everything to do with poindexter in this episode as well i think wilson bethel is just amazing mm-hmm. i really enjoyed his take on this character i thought it was really bittersweet with julie uh, I really hope that Poindexter finds out that Felix Manning or Wilson Fisk did this, even though he is a convert now. I would love to see him uh, use some of his skills, his skills on toast at the Fisk, to be honest. Uh, so I or, just. Or at the very least on Felix, yeah. I really don't think Felix will last the series, um, I suppose, mm. but. Again, I just thought it was really bittersweet for Poindexter here. Um, just that loss of everything, his North Star, his structure. Yeah. Uh, so for me, absolutely one of the best episodes of this season so far. And of course, how can you forget Poindexter in a Daredevil suit doing the hoovering? Absolute <laughs> classic. <laughs> so good. So good. Thanks so much for that, Sean. Uh, let's get on to feedback for this episode. Yeah, on to our feedback. Remember, you can send any feedback, discussion points, comments on any episode of Daredevil Season 3 over on our Facebook group on our spoiler posts that we put up there in the group. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. On the group for episode seven, Bob Phillips says, plot developing lovely in this series, but I think we really need to give a shout out to the acting of Vincent D'Onofrio. Superb. Mm -hmm. To see how he has grown, getting smoother, slicker, and taking up more space in the world. He has done this so well. Was it just me that thought, why is Karen in the passenger seat? Before I remembered, it was in America, and that was the driver's seat. Thank you, Bob, for the the feedback. It is absolutely an honest mistake for anyone that drives on the left-hand side of the road. Just so often when there's only one person in a car and they're sitting on the seat that you expect to be the passenger seat that you just think that they're in the driver's seat. Yep, totally agree with you, Bob. And yeah, Vince D'Onofrio... What more can be said about this guy? He's so, so amazing. And I'm so glad they brought him back in this central role for this season, not just doing a couple of episodes from behind bars, having him so central in the series again. Totally, totally worth every single penny that they they must have paid for this. Really good. Thanks so much for that, Bob. Um, Bit of feedback from Tina Brown, who listened to our episode seven podcast and said, I just love listening to you guys, but I just want to clarify my criticism of the protection for Jasper Evans. The least you can give the guy is a Kevlar vest, and I would think that they would lay hands on one. Foggy has connections with the NYPD, after all. Karen is the only person who is armed in that room, and you should at least empty the office. Tell everyone to go and have dinner. I know these seem like nitpicks, but I have found the whole situation poorly thought out. I know I'm overthinking, and this is the fight they needed, etc. But it still seems clum- clumsy and makes all of them look a bit stupid. And honestly, I think the writers knew that, hence the apologies. I'm not sure about that, Tina. I think I mentioned earlier on in this episode, actually, that I think all that happened was the timing of the police arriving to protect Jasper Evans 
was lengthened for some reason by somebody in the FBI. I think Karen fully expected the next person to walk in through the door after she walked in was the FBI, and then they would have cleared out the offices and they would have had the protection of the FBI. Remember, they were coming up the stairs as fake Daredevil was leaving. Um, So I'm wondering if this timing was all arranged by Fisk, that it's not actually a bad plan to bring Jasper Evans over there. Maybe the Kevlar outfit was on the way with the FBI guys, and when they arrived, they just ran into the building knowing it was under fire. You know, they did get there really quickly. It's not like they were called like the police were called. They arrived because they were on the way. Yeah, it's something that Karen says to Foggy in this episode with Foggy's theory, where she's kind of, are you sure about this, Foggy? Because Wilson Fisk is always two, three, four, five steps ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And Foggy's really having to say, no, this is like a totally brand new idea because it only came to me because of an accident. And I think here is that if we assume someone's in the FBI, then it may have just been orchestrated in a really, really good way. Having said that, Tina, I do think you should probably work for a security company because (laughs) I I do kind of also have sympathy with the points that you raise that, you know, if you are bringing back such a high profile um, person back to a place of work, you would maybe not bring them even onto the floor that you would have a particular safe house that you would take them. And I'm sure newspapers would have that. I think the Kevlar similarly um, would be a good idea although he was shot in the head remember so um yes that helmets for everyone well yeah (laughs) kevlar bubble wrap is what you need um so but i definitely i i like your points i'm kind of a bit like that as well i i like to think things through as to would that happen uh in reality and i think you're right i think you could say that it could have happened differently i just think it was probably orchestrated to happen like that exactly um but we are still to to have that full revelation. Uh, but we certainly know that Wilson Fisk has got his fingers in an awful lot of pies. Uh, so, yes, thank you, Tina, so much for the feedback. Really good to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening, Tina. I always love hearing your thoughts about the episodes as well. They're always a lot more fun than some of ours, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Tina is also with us for episode eight, where she says, okay, I know I've been down on Karen, but she is stretching my patience. Her imbecilic plan would have resulted in her getting attacked if it had succeeded. Mm -hmm. Like, that would have been the upside. Did she even consider what is going to happen next? Foggy had the right to be a lot more upset. The rest of this episode seemed like table setting. Dex is moving to where he needs to be. Matt gets his big revelation that will set his journey up for the last few episodes. Same with Agent Nadim. Still interesting, but more of pause for everyone to catch their breath before we head into the last five episodes. Well, it's it's interesting you say that, Tina. I, I, I do have to kind of disagree a little here. I think, obviously, because I've just given it a five feather duster review mm-hmm. you know uh, but i know what you're saying it is absolutely setting it up for the last bit but i don't think that is intrinsically a bad thing to happen and i think actually what is really nice in a thematic way for this episode it is that it's talking about the turn of characters the change in characters from one state to another um this is all just happening at once. I suppose, in, yeah, in, in normal life, you, this wouldn't be as noticeable as that. But it's that this event, this moment in time, is turning people in different directions. It's turning Poindexter away from the Law and Order and the FBI into Wilson Fisk. It is turning um, Karen Page away from her job in the Bulletin and as a reporter of an ethical standing to one where she is pushing absolutely the wrong buttons on Wilson Fisk. No matter how much you may deserve that reminder of Wesley and of his mother, um, that's not something a reporter would do. You know, she is turning. Matt is being forced to turn because of what he hears from Sister Maggie. And Agent Nadim is reluctantly turning in a different direction because he feels there is something 
wrong in the air at the moment. So that, you know, there's something wrong. So I I do see what you're saying, absolutely. But I, I just think that thematically it was a really nice moment for this episode to take all these characters and point them in different directions so i thought that was really really good yeah thanks so much for the feedback tina yeah thank you so much for the feedback tina our final piece of feedback on episode eight comes from alex anderson he says i think the next few marvel netflix series should show heroes doing house chores that scene with dex dressed up as as daredevil was fantastic (laughs) that's how i'm doing the housework from now on (laughs) you're definitely gonna get that spider-man outfit or your uh your dr strange outfit Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for all the feedback this week. If you want to send us any feedback, email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com with your thoughts about any of the episodes. I'm assuming you finished the series, so if you want to tell us your thoughts, please email them to us. Otherwise, if you want to watch along with us, go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast, where we put up a spoiler post for each of the episodes as we watch them so we don't spoil anybody else in the group of episodes they may not have seen. So uh, please join us over there as well for the last couple of episodes of the season. Thanks so much for being with us for this episode our next podcast about daredevil will be out next week where we will take a look at daredevil season three episode nine revelations mm-hmm. and as we mentioned earlier on we'll be doing our doctor strange podcast in between now and then talking about doctor strange issue seven and soldier supreme issue two of two so two endings of two arcs uh, in the next episode of strange tales looking forward to that thanks so much for joining us fellow defenders As always, fellow Defenders, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm off to break free because, oh, I just want to break free. (laughs) But after I've been freed, I will come back into my cell. You might. (laughs) (laughs) I might or I may be off into the galaxy like Doctor Strange. Uh, But we will be back with you again shortly, fellow Defenders. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Yes, Wilson Fisk is a rascal. <laughs> John, do you want to tell us without any takes uh, what your synopsis for the episode is? Sorry. Sure. <laughs> That's fine. We can do that again. Without any takes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sure. John, do you want to tell us in as few as takes? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> John, do you want to tell us who this? <laughs> and he calls up his boss. He doesn't say special agent, um, whatever her face is. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be really offensive yeah. to his boss. <laughs>